11.2, potential general obligation bonds and timeline. <coughs> For the request of the board, this item is placed on the agenda to allow continued discussion of the measure after action report and a potential new bond measure. And I believe there's a couple people that uh, wish to comment on this. So I will call on Mary Shea. Good evening. Um, I'm going to put my planning hat on as planning co-chair. And um, one of the things is I'm totally separate. I'm speaking as a lone ranger here. I am not implicating in any of the foolishness that might come out of my mouth, poor Robin, uh, who has to work with me. Um, so one of the things, first of all, I want to point out, and this will lead into where it's going to go. I'm also married to a lawyer, so lawyers create a lot of hot air, too, as teachers do. Um, first of all, I want to point out in our strategic plan, we have goal two, which is promote a culture of connectedness and inclusivity. And one of the things is for me that worked really, really well this year is, and I want to compliment um, Dr. Kraft about that, also Dr. Juni, is our flex day where we sat down for two days and we worked on SLOs. That was really community building. You were able to give us a wonderful picnic lunch. It did a lot of things that we needed to do to build community again. Um, and I want to say we got off to a very, very good start. I'm a grumbler about SLOs, but I got on board. I clicked as much as everybody else. So I'm even noticing conversations going on around the campus about instruction. Um, Tia Madison also talked today to me as I'm her campus coach on, on evaluation about how she's making overt connections for students in her um, assignments so that SLOs become more and more upfront about what we do. So again, that's what happens when we work together as a team. And so I think that is really, really critical. I spend a lot of time looking at the after action report on uh, what went wrong in the other bond. And what I thought worked well was how we were consulted after action. The consultant put each constituent group separately. We gave feedback. Uh, we felt like we were listened to for the first time. We had not been brought into the loop originally on um, the bond. And that, to me, was, was something that had shocked me originally. I do believe Dr. Hawk is moving in the right direction with um, trying to lay all the groundwork to move us forward on a bond. And uh, But again, it was that idea of we were not consulted, we were not brought in the loop until after all the plans and the deadlines were put there. So again, that was a big flaw for me in the um, other part of what happened last time. Um, the other thing is I do need to make a comment since all this seems to relate to also to the campus master plan. I'm having very much a difficulty with the campus master plan. Uh, it is not required by law. It is uh, seems to be overkill for our small campus. Uh, it is usually used by multi-college districts, if I understand carefully uh, what I'm talking about. So again, um, 
there's talk been around about, you know, let's make this a destination college. Let's build a hotel for students to come to. Let's increase it this way. My sister teaches at Santa Barbara City College, which has become a destination college, and it has become a joke. The community does not support the idea of a, um, of a destination college. Uh, students take it as a fraternity way far away from mom and dad, and they cause a lot of troubles in the community. So, again, there needs to be a more thoughtful approach. Instead of just dumping a hotel down and trying to encourage students to come from outside, those conversations have not happened. And um, so another thing is, is that, again, where are we going? And I do believe that we can pull together as a campus community, um, shown as how we finally, after years and years, Dr. Juni, are starting to get the, the light bulb is coming on. And again, I do take it very seriously what I say, that I have uh, really grave reservations about the timeline that I saw uh, promoted in your supporting documents, that it seems a rush after the fact. None of us have been asked again. Uh, would you, we probably desperately need help from the community. Um, everybody seems to have been consulted except faculty, and I'm also assuming the um, classified. What is it we need? Where are our programs going? We just hear all kinds of stuff about, well, let's build this program, or why don't you have a golf course program? And what? what? And uh, again, we're just trying to paddle our own boat and try to be the most effective teachers we can be. We've gone through hard times before. We're willing to buckle down and work hard. But again, I do not see a consistent way forward. Uh, I, I have to keep looking and I have to keep asking. The main thing for me is, does it follow the mission? And I do not see a bond I can see, a campus master plan, which seems to be related. Um, this is our only asset that we've got left. And once we give it away, it's gone. And it, it may look good to wildlife groups, but how does it serve our mission? And, and that's educating our students, doing the best we can. Sometimes I get, you know, distracted by the glitz and the glamour of all this stuff going on out there. But is it serving our students who, who can barely buy a textbook and get here? And um, so that's all I need to say. Thank you. Thank you. Also on 11.2 is Ann Gross. Good evening. Um, uh, for those of you who, who don't know me, my name is Ann Gross. I'm a professor of speech communication, uh, past president of the Academic Senate, and I've taught here for over 20 years. Um, I am... I think repeating some things that other people have been bringing up, but I think it is an issue of, of concern to many of us. Uh, and really, I wanted to um, speak to, as you all put on here, that you put the um, uh, this agenda item on as a request to allow continued discussion of Measure E after action report and a potential new bond measure with the timeline. And so I do want to speak specifically uh, for that reason. Um, in looking through the report on what went wrong for the last bond, um, and I'm sure you guys have all, you, this was part of the supporting document, so you have seen that. And they mentioned that it was, uh, there were, you know, many systematic or system, uh, 
systematic shortcomings uh, that led to the failure of the bond. And I think the, the few that I think are really important to recognize are that the decision-making time frame was compressed into a very short period of time. Uh, the district did not cement support of internal stakeholders, and they talked about that that was absolutely critical. Um, I, I was going to back sort of up the, some of the history of shared governance and how critical those decisions are for us. I think that's been stated. But I think in moving forward, they suggested uh, that complete planning process, uh, complete the planning process before moving to the next step, including engaging internal and external stakeholders in a meaningful two-way dialogue about student needs and what facility and technology enhancements could address those needs, that we would need to cement stakeholder support for the plan. Uh, communicate, communicate, communicate. And I think the key there is that this really has to be a meaningful two-way dialogue. And as you've been hearing from person after person, we don't believe that that's occurred at this point. Uh, in looking at the timeline, which was presented to us at our, our, our next to last, I believe, Academic Senate meeting last year, um, we said, where's the, where's the place for input? We're not seeing on the timeline the place for, for the meaningful input. Um, I think there may be some questions about what does that meaningful dialogue, what does the conversation look like? Um, and I think there may be a disconnect in terms of what we, we believe that to be. But if you look at the, the current timeline, um, there is nothing in that timeline. If you go piece by piece through there, there's nothing in there that, that shows where meaningful dialogue is going to occur at this point. It starts in September, which is where we are right now. Uh, the only thing in there that suggests input a survey for input on the facilities plan. That's not meaningful two-way dialogue. So, of course, I think we all feel that that need to move forward on funding sources. I think we see the value of bond funding to help support the things that we really need to do to serve our, our students better. But I believe that the timeline is not practical. I don't think it's feasible. And I think it, it's set up to bring us to failure again, because we will not be having the meaningful dialogue that we need to cement that stakeholder support. Thank you. Thank you. Carol, can we have that on the screen? Please. Thank you. Anyone else on 11? Okay, we're going to move on to 11.3. Well, wait, are, are, are we like having discussion? Are we uh, having discussion on it? Here. I mean, isn't that public comment? In, in, if, if I may, uh, Mr. President, uh, in the June 11th meeting of the Board of Trustees, and they under the action items. 12.3, it's required by the Chancellor's Office to submit a five-year capital outlay construction plan with the district ordering the, the order of priority of, of certain buildings. I had asked that this remain in the forefront so we could have discussion, just that we don't forget about it. We make this as required to the chancellor's office every single year, and and we forget about it. And if you look at the column on on uh, 
the detail of that particular um, agenda item, it lists 12 projects, and it, it asks for funding, whether it's local funding, whether it's uh, uh, whatever. So one of the tools in the quiver, one of those options is is a bond, not saying that it'll be done, but it's certainly an option. But if we just forget about it, it's going to be a surprise every single time. But this is what the district submitted to the chancellor's office. And and right there is uh, building 1,800 modernization, which coincides with number one. I did note, uh, and I know this is not a conspiracy, but the art center was dropped off 3,700. So that was supposed to be a joke. But in, in any event, uh, you know, to me, this just, just just puts it out there for discussion that, okay, you have those projects, and, and uh, the foundation, the community, the, the district, uh, faculty, staff, administration could all look at these and say, do we still need it? How are we going to pay for it? What other ideas you have? Well, there's, there's always the bond. Is that the solution? Maybe not. But that's all part of the discussion, in my view, is that this is what we said. Let's put it out there. And this it says it's based upon data from proposed updated educational master plan and facilities master plan, but I'm sure it has a lot of history on it. Uh, anyway, thank you. Could you put the timeline back up, please? Uh, yeah, I guess I... Looking at this, I just and with the information, I just assumed that we were going to have some discussion. Uh, you're absolutely right. This board owns the failure because we started too late. Dr. Kraft talked to us, you know, uh, had uh, brought it up a number of times, probably five six months before we took before we did anything. So. The timing was really bad, and that's nobody's fault but ours. And, you know, I mean, I could tell you some of the drama that went on in the process, uh, and frankly, I'm thrilled that we, that we got the support that we did. But, you know, Michael is saying is the reason that this is here from my perspective tonight is that uh, do we need to do it? And that's why we're, you know, wanting to uh, to open this up uh, to constituent groups. And I guess what I would like to ask uh, Dr. Kraft is between now and uh, the end of the year that, that uh, you would convene the leadership of the constituent groups so that uh, uh, as to... The uh, the list of projects that's there, the whole concept, the whole idea of a of a bond measure, the unified district may go out, um, you know, and they're they're as we speak putting together an advisory committee to advise them on which of their properties to sell. You know, as long as I sit here uh, and have a voice, we won't sell any property. It's a you know uh, does not fit with the mission. Leasing the land to go, uh, you know, to uh, to a business or something that we keep the land, similar to the Gasser Foundation. So anyway, I, without uh, you know, pronging this, I I would, you know, if there's the rest of you agree, we would ask Dr. Kraft to 
uh, go forward and get constituent group support so that when we come back in January, um, that, you know, to talk about this again um, and look at, you know, if we we make a decision to do it, we need to make it uh, early. I have a couple comments. Um, on the timeline, the the one thing I see that doesn't work is starting starting a full fledged campaign next July. I think that that's way too late. that's way too yeah. late, and um, um, and I did think that the create narrative of facility needs for distribution to school college community that's kind of where I thought that everybody would be brought into the process because I I know that, you know, we believe that, you know, we we absolutely have to get everybody behind it before we can even think about going out for it again. So um, that would not be a mistake. I think that we would even begin to make twice. So for me, it's that and it's the timing. And um, not that it can't work, I just think it needs to look a little bit different, and that's why we're starting a discussion. Um, so, but I just know that a July campaign start wouldn't wouldn't cut it. I'd just like to say I agree wholeheartedly with Joanne that the most glaring thing was a late start, and the number two thing was starting without reaching out to the different constituencies. It felt like we had, but in looking back at it, we really hadn't. And I agree with Joanne that we need to direct Dr. Kraft to meet with the leadership of the constituency groups, and not just to tell you what we're thinking, but more to listen to what you have to say to us, what you think are the needs, because you're the ones that are actually here every day and see the needs more so than we would. Else? I let me just you, you said the leadership the constituent groups I I would like to see the constituent group leaders you know pull in as much of your membership as you can so opinion uh, you know we're getting a a broad spectrum because I don't know what percentage you know, live in the community uh, I know at one point percentage of faculty living in the community was only between 30 to 50 percent. I have no idea what it is now. Do you, that a, that's okay. I just, uh, but I, you know, I, we need to make this as broad as, uh, in terms of input as, as possible. And, and as well as possibilities or scratch something off. Do we really need to modernize, uh, uh, the athletic fields or something like that. That's that's kind of dialogue we need to engage in. What options do we have? And and uh, <clears throat> the good doctor said that we're probably economically at a uh, at a watershed point. We could either go down or or up. Not only on our own budget, but the economy is of the United States and the world. So we could be looking at another two thousand and eight. But th- that's the sort of dialogue I want to hear and engage in. Well, the other thing for me is that uh, uh, with the, Dr. Juni's background, looking at uh, uh, 
vocational programs as well as additional uh, academic programs uh, that, that in, in terms of the existing facilities list that may need to be adjusted. Uh, you know, at one point we were going to do a dental hygiene program, but the, the cost of, uh, you know, the facility was you know, terrific. But, uh, you know, somehow... Um, Somehow we're we're not collectively seeing where you know where we go programmatically. Why? What is it that that we can do? Add, subtract that uh, uh, that we can not go through this fluctuation with uh, uh, with FTES all the time. I mean, there's a certain amount of it to do with the economy and all of those uh, that piece of it, but the part of it is, you know, what we're offering. You know, and there's, a, a, I mentioned this, I think, at the last meeting, the League of Women Voters statewide mission or uh, subject they're studying this year is higher education. And uh, there is a California master plan, which is being uh, uh, rewritten. It's online. Uh, the... Uh, uh, in a group, it's you know it's already working on it. But one of the questions that they're raising is, why are you know why are community colleges um, building more buildings when everything is going to be digital and online, and uh, you know that becomes a uh, an issue. And of course, this is being driven by the legislature. Some of this stuff, but anyway, it's um, I don't know. I don't know how we go deeper in, in uh, looking at that uh, as, as to what we need to add or subtract in the way of programs, short-term programs. My idea on going deeper, I think, would be not just the given that we need to involve all our constituency groups and students, but also the fact that we may only we may have a unified school district bond, a jail bond, and a college bond. And there has to be some uniformity between who is consulting with the groups and having, you know, a plan of attack for all three bond measures instead of one person doing something different. If if I may jump in. Jump in. I know there's some other comments, um, but I, I think... Every, I think we all, I certainly agree with what is being said and what happened the last attempt. I think part of it was, was fear. I think as a board, when, when Dr. Kraft first brought that uh, possibility up of going out for a bond, I think as a board, I think we were scared. Uh, you know, nobody seems to like a bond because, you know, there are taxes. And, and people automatically are going to be opposed to that. So I think there was a an element of fear on our part on doing that. And then when, I think, at least to me, it became apparent that we, we need the money. And after the discussion today on the budget and what the future uh, may hold, which means less funding from the state and other sources, and we're talking about, you know, the general plan and people are saying, well, we don't need that. And well, in my opinion, we do. If you don't plan, how, how do you know, you know what you're going to need in the future and how are you going to prioritize if you haven't done that planning? I, I think there's a misunderstanding as to 
just what that plan is, what its purpose is, how it fits in with the educational master plan and all of those things. And I think that all ties to possibly a bond. I think, I think that, needs, that discussion needs to happen. If we don't have a bond, where's the money going to come from? We, we just heard that we, some of our FTES, um, we can't increase because we don't have the facilities. So we can't get money from that avenue if we can't increase those classes that are impacted because we, we don't have labs for chemistry or science or, or math. So all of these things, to me, are, are kind of intertwined, tangled together. And we have to, I think, all of us have to keep an open mind and, and discuss those, uh, you know, together. And, and I mean that all of those issues together, and I mean us together. I certainly agree we need, we obviously need that input from all of you out there as to, well, how many of those labs, how many more do we need, how big does that facility have to be uh, so that we can have those classes. Uh, and I think in this timeline for this potential bond that we are, we're discussing, I see that, that actually it's like the second or third thing where I see that the uh, faculty and staff input starts to come in, uh, and, and certainly there may be a uh, need to increase those opportunities, but I don't think we can, any of us, not us, not, not you, not the other groups out there, just say, no, absolutely not, we don't want a bond, uh, that's not going to happen, uh, or we, we shouldn't be doing a, a master plan, I think we should, because that's, we need to guide the college, the district, over five years, 15 years, 20 years. We talked about what do we look like. Well, that's what the plan is for, to figure out what we're going to look like in those increments of time in the future. So I, I just ask that everybody kind of keep an open mind and, and discuss those issues. Amanda? I, I appreciate the feedback, and I, I would like to just clarify some points because of the my imperfect little survey of the data. I don't, I'm not here implying that the faculty would be flatly opposed to a bond. I think most of the comments I was getting through this survey were concerns about how it had not been brought it, it, in terms of the process and, and, as we've already heard, the timeline. Um, I also got a lot of feedback about um, what, you know, some nuanced ideas of, well, does it need to be new buildings or does it need to, you know, if we went out for a bond, or should it be um, just enlarging existing classrooms or improving IT? There, So there's a lot of feedback that isn't, oh, this is off the table. That's not, I, I hope I didn't give you that impression because um, – I think the bottom line is if there could be an opportunity for faculty to come together and talk about this with the administration and talk about what the pressing needs are and um, and be able to, you know, kind of go back and forth, there could be something very fruitful. So I just I want to make that point. Um, there also might be an open space part. And parks, open space and parks tax, so that's another one. But um, I guess my concern about the timeline, what's missing, um, one of the issues with the last bond, too, with the community was that we didn't have an updated facilities plan. And 
Um, we're still in the process of updating our plans. We're updating our educational master plan, our facilities plan. We're in early stages of the campus master plan. So I'm concerned, you know, it seems like since that was an issue with the last bond and uh, the, with this bond, we would need to have those plans in place. And I don't know how close we are to doing that. It seems like that would push all this timeline forward. But it seems like that overall strategic planning should drive the bond rather than just kind of haphazardly trying to figure out what to spend the money on. Um, and kind of related to that, um, one of the things I liked in the budget presentation, it didn't get highlighted, but when they were talking about increasing FTS, um, they were talking about using data to figure out student demand for classes and programs. Um, and Joanne just referred to that as well. I, I think that should be kind of driving the discussion is, is, you know, what do, I think that's what will bring students to the college more than anything else is that we're offering the, the courses and the programs that, that they want. Um, and I think we need to figure that out and that would be maybe part of the educational uh, master plan. Um, and then, yeah, so identifying student needs, I think that comes first and foremost um, before we could move forward with a, a plan. If I could perhaps offer Jenny or whatever would like to go first. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, there has been continued discussion in associated students whether or not we'd want to throw our support behind the bond. And as of right now, there is um, a push from our student leaders in that board, um, specifically the executive board, to push our senators and other members of ASNBC to fully review the um, campus master plan documents that will be, you know, um, given with time, and um, I guess as a per, uh, as a student in the STEM field, um, I cannot stress how important it is to modernize our um, existing facilities for the STEM program. Um, I know that chemistry has had multiple issues with um, their the amount of uh, students that are taking the class and the somewhat outdated facilities, um, especially the labs, um, and that's that has been. That concern has been voiced to me almost countless times ever since I um, took office. Uh, other than that, um, where we are being, I'm taking the effort and other members on the board are also taking the effort to guide those students to um, voice their inputs, meet with um, different um, players in those academic um, divisions to see what is happening. Um, I'd also like to, what, what worries me is the concern of the other bond measures on the ballot. Um, uh, again, the jail bond. Um, actually, I was sitting in the library the other day doing some homework, and I received a phone call from a, um, a firm representing the uh, Napa County jail bond, and they, you know, they're starting to do their preliminary research. So I realize that they're on top of their game, and I think we should be doing um, sim uh, something similar if we're to pursue a bond in 2016. Um, but I can almost tell you that students are willing and will be pushed to rally around the support of a bond measure. Um, as long as we have a continued and increased voice in the shared governance process, because um, a lot of our members and a lot of other students on campus have also made it clear to me that that hasn't historically been the case. Um, I know there have been other concerns with prior trustees um, surrounding bond measures, um, but that is being addressed. 
And yeah, really, I'd love to see the bond move forward and see what we can do as a board to push that. Thank you. Dan, can I make one, one quick point? Um, oh, Janine is oh, next. Um, one other thing from the after-action report, uh, and this was coming out during the campaign, but it was revealed in the after-action report, is there was also concern from the community about um, management and, and leadership and mismanagement of, of funds, um, you know, mainly probably from the last bond. Um, but I think the more we can do right now with what we have, to show the public, you know, that we're fiscally responsible, I think that will only help with a future bond measure. Um, I think we need to show that we can manage what we have and maintain what we have so that the public trusts us with more money. I was just going to say a couple of things. Um, so I've been involved in six um, successful bonds and it was one, now two, unsuccessful, <laughs> um, and over $2 billion worth of value of bonds. And uh, so a couple comments. Um, this talks a lot about facilities. Um, there's also a major component of technology that is uh, incredibly important to this district. Sometimes that's integrated in facilities, sometimes it's not. And so I think a technology plan is certainly an important element of that. And we're going to start building that with the technology committee um, is going to start meeting next week. So I, I don't want that to be left out. I also think that you can't build a facilities plan in isolation of your programmatic um, demand, both current and future. And that's what an educational master plan provides is that, that connection. Um, and so I understand from a, um, a bond consultant perspective that um, they're assuming by the time you have a facilities plan, all the other stuff is done, you've made the connections, you've validated the need, et cetera. That doesn't show here because that's assumed has already happened. And so I just want to make sure that, you know, the board um, makes sure that those connections exist and, and there is a correlation. I would say in terms of what we've been submitting to the um, chancellor's office in terms of the five-year plan, I wasn't here for the meeting when that was discussed. Many of those um, projects have been sitting there for years and years and years. And I would say from my observation that many of them may be irrelevant at this point and need to come off the list <laughs> or be revised in some way. Um, and so I think we would learn that from this work. Um, and um, so I wouldn't take that list too seriously, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, because I think it, it's okay for it to change, um, and it should change because needs change over time. Um, so I, that's just my two cents as you move forward in the future with, with thinking about this process. If I may respond to that, a absolutely. That's, that's one of the reasons why I advocated for it being up there because it's, who knows? And, and one of the, the comments um, in the development of the 2002 was for smaller classrooms, and, and is that the solution today that, that you're looking at it? So I, I understand what you're saying there and how we teach. Meanwhile, um, you know, just in the what the register this week, uh, the Wine Academy offering wine courses. Uh, uh, since the last uh, defeat, uh, what, new cooking school on the fashionable east side of town that's siphoning students. So, uh, and just look at... Um, uh, Mr. Farmer's comment about uh, Solano providing 30%. Well, they're 
enrollment is probably down. I would expect 30% or something because we're stealing students from them. Um, so, but, but why is that happening? And, and who do we want to, who, that conversation most definitely, who, what do we want to be? Uh, who do we want to teach? But if you're, you're looking at a smaller and smaller while well, meanwhile people are taking the low-hanging fruit, um, maybe we'll just need one classroom. Well, if I could just say, one of the things we talked about in the forum I didn't talk about tonight was the fact that if we look at our feeder populations over time, between now and 2024, we're actually looking at a decline in population of over 5%. So that dynamic is important for us to think about. I think what um, Trustee Busenbrock was saying about um, online, you know, how does that change? Um, the bricks and mortar. Hybrid is really popular, so you can actually teach twice as many classes in the same facility if you're doing hybrid because you're only on the ground, you know, half the time or a third of the time. So building the facilities needs from the programmatic piece is really important. And so I don't want us as a district or you as a district to, to lose sight of that as, as you consider these decisions. Diana. One day I'll figure out this mic. So I also want to um, kind of Hope that you didn't hear that there. we don't believe there is a need for a plan. There's absolutely a need for a plan. The plans, though, are not connected. So, so just touching on some of the things that you mentioned. So hybrid courses are great. So are online courses. But the success rates are, well, they're not good. And that's systemic, not just NAPA. But we also have classrooms where we can't take all the students that want in because the rooms are too small. We have all of these program issues that haven't been discussed with the people that are doing them. For example, we have new podiums in classrooms. You can't see half of your, you know, a quarter of your classroom. No one talked to the faculty that teach in the rooms before they bought this fancy stuff. It's cool. It works great. But I can't see, you know half of my class if I stand behind my wall so they can't get to me. So there's these things that happen that are essential to students' learning and success. And when stuff comes to us after it's been decided or seemingly out of nowhere, so notice seemingly, so you all or President's Cabinet may have been talking about these things for a long time, but it is news to us when it comes from where we, we don't know from where. And, well, in fact, after the last board meeting, I sent out a summary and links to the last two initial, um, initial reports to faculty, and I got some comments back. And a couple people said, but Diana, you didn't tell us what our position is. That's right. <laughs> we don't have a position. And I said, I don't even know how I feel about what's in these plans. Like, personally. I said, because we don't talk about what's in these plans, about how it will impact us. But if you ask me if a retail space or services for my students, which is more important, my students come first every time. But when I look at this list, it says you're going to send a questionnaire to gather input from faculty and staff. That is not dialogue. That is a one-way collection of information. A questionnaire does not catch nuance. It doesn't catch idiosyncrasies. 
It doesn't address the difference between my program and Amanda's program. It doesn't catch the difference between, you know, 10 math faculty reply and one art history person replies. That changes the data and the information. The, the dialogue piece is essential to meet the needs of our community and the students that we serve. It's not incidental. And part of the reason this bond took us by surprise is that President Kraft told us he was not going out for a bond. The board might decide to do something, but he was not. And so then we open our agenda. We did not read it two weeks ago or whenever Carolee sent the link out because we were reading student work. So we read it a couple of days before. Our constituencies read it. And then we're like, what? What's this? We're talking bond again? And there's not just a conversation about if we should have a bond or a vote about support of going forward, but a plan to actually go forward. Those are two different things. Our groups haven't taken, I don't know about your group, haven't taken a vote, a decision. We haven't collected consensus. Amanda's survey was like, what, two or three hours this afternoon. But we're not being included in the dialogue about what's happening on this campus. And that is the issue. Not about whether we have a plan, not about whether we build a sky rise or a parking structure or not about any of those things about there's not an opinion out there because we haven't even been at, invited to the table to talk about what's needed and what that impact has on our constituent groups and more importantly what impact all of that dialogue has relative to our students. How do you see that happening? How do you, what, what's a format that would work? I mean, uh, you all, faculty has their schedule Classified, we pretty much know. But if we were, uh, if we were wanting to get a group, we were wanting to do the dialogue. What what work? Smaller groups, uh, well, a forum. Uh, I mean, our structure would suggest that this goes to planning. But if you're talking about wanting to do more sooner, um, I mean, I would work with the co-chairs of planning. And possibly, um, if they see it appropriate, yeah, a, a forum, figure out a time. I know, that's going to be tricky. But, or offer a couple of times. I, I do think that with this having appeared on the agenda, there, this has generated, there's a lot of energy around this right now. And, and I don't think the, the sort of writing off the apathy, I don't know if that would be the case here because I think um, for one thing I do think again based on uh, anecdotal evidence and what people have told me directly is that um, they there are that people have gotten uh, faculty are looking very specifically at um, where you know it doesn't need to be the kind of all out let's get the biggest amount of money we can, but be much more strategic in how we do it, how, you know, in some of the, our needs and strategic and how we present. I mean, people have shared that already. So I, there's willingness and there are ideas. And there will be those, of course, who are not going to be in favor regardless. But I, I would, I would strongly suggest that with conferring with planning come up with 
um, an opportunity where those people can talk. So what you're saying is rather than to use uh, constituent groups, in other words, ask you please uh, to agendize and uh, uh, Dr. Kraft or whoever he would assign would come, uh, you know, to present whatever it is we have to present uh, as as this is what we want criteria on, rather than to start with a clean slate, obviously because we have facilities plan uh, that, that you could, you know, take take parts off, that sort of thing. But what you're saying is use the campus structure of the planning committee uh, rather than Let's constituent confer with groups. the planning committee. I don't want to speak for Mary and Robin, but I, 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 I do. We have a structure that, you know, that. Well, I, I okay, so what, uh what we're what I'm looking at and looking for is the broadest uh, response, the broadest you know uh, number, the most number of of uh, participants or opinions. So I would I would see doing a survey, a written survey for those people that aren't going to show up or those people that have, in addition to the die to the dialogue. Okay. Uh, and I, I guess what in my mind, I mean, I, I you know, know the structure, obviously, but in my mind, it, it uh, the, it wouldn't, I guess what I started to say is it wouldn't go to the planning committee. The reason being, at the end of it all, then if we end up doing something, we've got this, all this information that says, this is what we think we ought to do, and this is what it looks like, and then go to the planning committee because constituent groups would have then uh, had a chance to, uh, for the input, for the input that comes, you know, from the constituent groups as well as the community, obviously, you know, community groups as well. And then, uh, you know, to the planning committee to, you know, uh, say, okay, so this is everybody's ideas. Uh, what is it? You know, does it make any sense? I guess that I'm. That's why I'm asking you how, because well, that's that's. Uh, I guess I didn't anticipate having to answer that. And, and so I mean, I I hear what you're saying, and I think I, I guess that could make sense. I think the important yeah, I'm thing not is asking in consultation. But in consultation, that's that's right. the bottom line. Yeah. Is if if everybody's clear, the how it's going to happen. That right. that well, I let think me make one other comment uh, yeah. before Mary, and that is, I, attending the budget forum is what sort of got my juices flowing because the the uh, you know the interaction. I mean, I've been to over the thirty years a lot of budget forums, and so. Uh, there was an unusual amount of energy and creativity uh, flowing that I that I felt, and uh, so it's it's uh, that's yeah. why I'm saying you're I'm gonna, you're right. Gonna, the dialogue is critical. I'm yeah. going to wrap this up. We've had quite a bit of discussion on this issue, and we need to move the. Could agenda. we just let Mary, sir? One quick. One quick comment, and again, we'll have further discussions about what the planning committee does or doesn't do, um, because I do believe that, um, Joanne, your your focus is right, is that all the constituent groups would come through 
we have to take care of the mission statement. We have to work with accreditation standards and stuff, too. We have a full agenda on the planning committee that we're sometimes overwhelmed, and, and Robin is doing a terrific job keeping us on track. So um, one of the things is, but just presenting a PowerPoint to us after the fact it's all done is not adequate. No, no, that's not what I'm... Right. No. But... I, but Planning in, needs to be part of it, and that's where I don't see the campus master plan fitting in in any of our structures. And because it's something that's new that has never happened, it doesn't seem to fold into what we're doing. And I don't see that. And But again, I'm willing to work with any constituent group. That's what worked on the first bond, is we got so excited that faculty actually, we stood on street corners. And we waved like idiots, and we marched up and down the streets. We called people. We were never asked to do that. We were just totally left out. And so um, it's sort of like, okay, well, we could use it, but why aren't we necessary to this process? And so it isn't that we wanted it to fail, but how did we fit in? And I think that's what I'm really asking, is that I do believe that your question starts that, how do you see us being able to give you input that's meaningful. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to move on to 11.3, consent. Is, is it too late to move some move up the community, the, the ones that the community put on the agenda since they've Pardon moved? me? Is uh, it too late coming up in the really game? Close. We, okay. We consent calendar reformat. This item placed on the agenda to allow discussion of a proposed change to the consent calendar section of the Board of Trustees' regular meeting agenda. A sample of consolidated contract agreement listing backup package. Craft and Hawk. You want to? Um, it's Janine. So um, this is meant to help expedite meetings um, without taking away any information that we currently provide. Um, so what I've done in other districts is create one agenda item in table form. Um, Behind this would still be the complete agreement that you would have as backup and review. And if any particular board member wanted to remove any uh, individual item, they could still do that and remove it. And um, you could take a separate vote on that versus the, um, the the balance of the table. So I'm just proposing this format change for your consideration. Are we talking about this this format? Yes, it's a table format. This would be to ratify agreements, contracts, and memorandums of understanding only. Looks good to me. Easier to read, the better. That's much easier to deal with than. I like just it as well. Can we um, vote on this now? It's not an action it's item. Not an action item, but I would uh, suppose we put this on next month's agenda. Is this something that has to be voted on? I think you can just provide your feedback and direction. Right. I don't think you need a formal action. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 11.4, first reading of revised or to be repealed board policies. This is the first reading of the following new revised board policies. And these, this is first reading, so there was no approval here either. No, BP twenty seven twenty. The communications among board members. Well, you can read. Everyone can read the numbers. I just had a question. Um, on my question is on the drug policy. We have a clear, you know, 
disciplinary action listed, um, but on the firearms, it seemed just very brief and it didn't talk about anything, uh, any kind of disciplinary action if someone is found with, you know, an automatic assault weapon on them. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if that's... I mean, there. Can we ask Ken to? Uh, yeah. So, the board policy itself is fairly generic. Just um, the administrative regulations cover it. If to, as you described, if they have an assault weapon, their disciplines the least of their concerns at that point because I'm. That, that was they're kind going of a to joke. Jail. That was kind of so. A joke. Yeah, that's yeah. That that would sort of be a. The drug policies are driven by because you do have a lot of folks. Um, marijuana is just a daily occurrence for me, and and well, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that that sounded better in my head. I thought you looked happy it, all the until time until I said it. But it, it, in the sense of daily occurrence out here on so campus so that we that we send to Oscar. So I, I don't know if that answers. A lot of the gun laws are all covered in the penal code. And and that's where really what drives most of that. So if some, but if somebody, because I know legislation is looking at um, yeah, has to do with CWs, yeah, right. Weapons so, permits, yeah. but right now, right this very minute, um, if somebody has a license to carry a gun, right. If you have a CW, come on to the campus with it, and that's not allowed. What what can they expect as repercussions to that? Right now, if you have a CW, you can have that weapon on campus. There's there's nothing that's not against the law. The change right. in the legislation is that we would then, if that if the governor does in fact sign that, we'll have to bring we'll have to create or modify this policy and bring that back to the board. We'll have to make an institutional decision on what we want to do with that. Because we, we do have people who bring firearms on campus for classes, and, and I okay those through faculty. I mean, we have replica firearms that, you know, go to classes and things like that. So, so there has to be some latitude about what we approve in, in terms of bringing stuff on campus. So even if something's not covered by law, can it be covered by board policy? It, it can be, yeah. Um, we, we don't have... Um, Weapons on campus haven't been a bit, we haven't had it, it hasn't been a significant issue for us yet. I, I would like to see if a consideration could be made that there would be something in the policy to add. add discipline to it? Yeah. Um, I have a question, if that's okay. Um, there are administrative regulations, correct, Carolee? Right, so I think the administrative regulations may speak. that would be covered may speak to the detail oh, that you're looking okay. at, but perhaps oh. not. We can bring it back. Oh. Somehow this reminds me of uh, City of Sebastopol years ago that uh, declared themselves a nuclear-free zone. And, it, and uh, the joke was that if you let off an atom bomb in downtown Sebastopol, they can write you a ticket. <laughs> well, it, it just reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> Can we, are we ready to? Um, 
Are we ready to move on to other ones? Pardon me? Are we ready to move on to other ones? Other policies? To go over all the policies? No, no, no. Are we ready to move on to other ones that we have questions about? Well, were there, were there any more questions on yeah. any of the policies? I have questions about two. On weapons, I, I do. Uh, back to the weapons. Because in the, uh, in the course of instruction in the Viticulture Center, I've I've witnessed uh, sabering of sparkling wine bottles. Yes, I believe. Yes. Didn't you do? So, yeah, so that is, was. Is that uh, is that uh, one must get clearance from the? Yes, actually, you, that? you would because it's it's over uh, two and a half inches yes. in blade length. So noted. Um, so noted. Yeah, yes. but we we have actually pretty regularly actually Diane, or uh, Ann Gross is not here. We have in her class a guy brings a claymar in, which is a giant Scottish sword and. We have all kinds of things that show up for speech class. It's evidently yes. quite interesting what ends up in there. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Amy. Um, the communications policy, if we could look at that for a second. Um, first of all, I want to thank the group that worked on that. It's a lot better than before. Um, I just had a few comments. Well, one comment and then a question. Well, no, I guess they're both comments. Um I don't think it adds anything, and it doesn't seem very much like a policy. It seems kind of hokey to start each one with one of board functions as a whole, um, and it, it doesn't really add anything. I think the points speak for themselves. Um, and like I said, it doesn't sound like policy language. So I was just wondering about taking those out. So for, actually, the first one really doesn't even have anything to do with functioning as a whole. The first one's the Brown Act, which is more about being transparent in your communications. But all the rest of them, I think the, the points speak for themselves. You know, all board members receive the same information. Hey, we, you know, know how many hours this was worked on. Does anybody else on the board feel we need to bat around? No, I, I don't want to take that yet, out yet again. if... Uh, uh, it reminds us that uh, when we work as a full board, it's a, it's a reminder, it's league language. I leave it there. It's not league language, um, actually. The only thing that's from the league is the first paragraph. But, again, it, I think what matters is the substance. The step, substantive part is everything after that. So uh, it's just a request that that be taken out. I don't think it's necessary, and it's not... Policy language. I don't agree. I would that was actually left in. one of the big things that I actually wanted to have in it, just because it, to me, reflects our shared value statements and working together. Okay. And then the other thing is number six. It doesn't have, I'm not saying it shouldn't be in a policy, but it doesn't have anything to do with communications between board members. You know, maybe it would go under roles and responsibilities of a board member. There's a policy on that. But that number six has nothing to do with communications between board members. I think it should be in a different policy. Anyone else share that opinion on the board? No. Supports of you know, the uh, it's a good reminder. Supports our values. It's talking about not communicating with college employees. This policy is called communications between board members. So. There is a board policy on roles and responsibilities. Maybe it would go there, but I just think it's misplaced. I don't agree. What did you say? No, we actually borrowed that from Santa Rosa JC. Apparently they'd had some issues with that, and I thought it was a good idea to add to ours just so that no trustee feels like they have the authority to tell a uh, subordinate 
employee of the college how to do their job. If there's, if we something pops up that we have an issue with someone who works for the college, we go to the president and ask him to direct. We don't take that upon ourselves individually to address that. And I don't think Amy's um, saying that. I think she's just saying that, yeah, that's something that actually should be in another policy. It's not about us communicating with each other. That's, I think that's what she's yeah, saying. I think I don't disagree with the statement. I think it should be in a policy. I just don't think it should be in this policy. I think it would be better in the roles and responsibilities one. It might even be in there. I don't know. But I just think it doesn't belong here. I'd move it. I'm sorry, Joanne. You could modify the um, title of the policy to reflect among board members and others. I could see how command is communicated. Uh, it's yeah. communication. The command is communication. So, by eliminating number six, would we have our communications policy done? Would everybody be in agreement at Can that point? I'm going to make a motion. I'm just going to put up for a motion. I move that we move point number six to it could be a rules and responsibilities policy, but that we move it. I'll second Amy's motion on removing six after our discussion as board. Well, except that this is an information item. It's not an action yep. item. Revision. It's, it's, it's the first reading. Okay. So we, you can consider it. The, the committee can consider it, and we can bring it back and talk about it next time. I suggest the committee move it to another policy. <laughs> well, I, I would say first... Really, you need to look at all of it and make sure there isn't anything else that could be viewed as communicating outside of the board because I see other things that could be communicating outside the board. And maybe it's just a title change of the policy, not the policy itself. These are from the CCLC. That's a standard policy from the CCLC, BP2720, communications between board members. And I actually looked to see if there were other ones like that, and I didn't think there were, because the president is technically part of the board. He's the secretary of the board. So it does talk about the president, but he's part of the board. So I, I, thought, I think that's the only one that doesn't fit. So remove six and have a policy, or Marianne, are you not? Why don't we remove six for the next, for the second reading? Um, no, but you could also, you know, specify the implication there that the communication flows through the president. I think that's what that's getting at. But oh yeah, that's the point of it. I think she makes a really good point because that could. Instead of removing it, it could become, you could just add to it by saying that, um, that that communication then comes back to uh, the, the board secretary. I'm sorry, I, I think I missed that. So, Carolee is saying so that instead of it, instead of it, you know, just saying, don't do this, what do you do with it, you know? Uh, but again, I, I don't think that's board communication. I mean, if you're saying if you do it, then bring it back to the board. I guess you're making it board communication, but 
I think the easiest thing is to put it in another, like the roles and responsibilities. It would seem to fit perfectly. We should probably communicate to Santa Rosa JC that they're wrong in their uh, policy, too, to have that in there. Since we found that and dug it out. Okay, let's take it out and put it where it belongs then. Any objection to that? Hearing none, let's move on to consent calendar. 12.0, the items listed on the consent calendar are considered to be routine matters requiring approval, ratification by the board. They are accepted and approved by a single motion without discussion. Is there a motion? I had a question about 12.7, quick brief. I First, we need a motion. I motion to adopt the consent calendar Second. as it stands. Second, okay. Condition of a question. Um, what exactly is 12.7? I I read it over a couple times, and I still kind of didn't understand what it's about. Basically what it is, it's it's, it's MOU, it's, it's agreement that we have every year to use this this product, in essence, which, which is C-Apply. Format that we use for for applications here at the college for, for new students. So basically, it's 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 is continuing with with Butte College, who is your, sort of the the owner of this product for the state to use it. Okay. So, anyone else? Uh, yeah, I have a question. How did uh, twelve point one point one with fifty eight pages of the Every check written for them. How'd that end up in our uh, information? Never read that before. We've been uh, posting the the check register for a few meetings now. In our in our packet information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for about six months. Why Why are we doing that? I think it was requested. Um, it was it was requested, and it's not. Out of the ordinary to have it contained in the in the board packet. Requested by one board member, two board members. Doesn't matter. I think it's pretty standard practice in most districts um, to have the detail of what, what you're voting on. So I so I did include it. I I, I can uninclude it if it's the board's pleasure. <laughs> you have a motion and a second on the. Yes. All in favor of approving the consent calendar, signify by saying aye. 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 I have to abstain. There's a check for fifteen twenty four twenty nine. It goes to my company that uh, my family has an interest in. My sister, her husband, and my mother. Fifteen dollars or fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. At this time, we're going to take a ten minute recess. Bit of a break. So we will reconvene in exactly ten minutes. Exactly ten minutes. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to ask what's going on. I'm here from the public. Ten o'clock at night. People are sitting here and having cookies and milk. Is this yeah, meeting going to begin? It's unfortunate. We're going to reconvene as soon as everyone takes their seats. This meeting is reconvened, and at the request of a couple of trustees, I'm going to rearrange the agenda.
agenda and move the 14.1 information item ahead of 13.0 and uh, public request for agenda item the agenda request made by the public the stop fire expansion in accordance with board policy 2340 agendas this item is placed on the agenda the request of members of the public Kathy Felch Richard Blair Stephen Booth Sandra Booth and Julia Winiarski. This item will allow the board to participate in any discussion related to the impacts of the fire project, as it may or may not directly relate to the business of Napa Valley Community College District. It is requested by members of the Stop Sire Expansion Board that Napa Valley College adopt a resolution urging Napa County and the Napa Planning Commission to adopt a no project option as outlined in an alternative analysis memo of July 2015 authored by Donald Barella, Planner 3, County of Napa. And I just have one speaker card from James Hinton. Oh, got some more coming, but... Okay, but first on the docket is James Hinton. Okay, you insist? We have... Uh, Glinda Velasco, and I uh, can't read the rest of it. A coordinator for NCGP. Six total people. Mr. President, my name is Kathy Felch with Stop Sire Expansion, and we have kind of ordered our presentation tonight. So we're going to start with Sandra Booth, if that's all right with you. It'll kind of go smoother, and we can get through it faster. I know that's what everybody would be interested in at this point. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity for me to speak this evening before the board. Uh, my name is Sandra Booth. Um, I have a degree in fine arts. And um, I live in the neighborhood just north of Imola and have had years of experience seeing uh, the Sire Napaquari in operation. Our group, Stop Sire Expansion, is not trying to shut the quarry down, but to stop the unnecessary expansion and bring about control of the dust affecting our whole southwest part of town due to the quarry operation. Uh, I hope you all will come to realize how important this issue is. And uh, now Steve Booth of um, Stop Sire Expansion will talk about the photos and we'll go through the photos now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Steve Booth, and um, I've been a resident from in Napa County since 1972. Um, <coughs> my background, um, my major is in horticulture with a, a minor in biological sciences. Um, I have a lifetime credential. Uh, from the state of California, a teaching credential in uh, applied in fine arts. And in the early 90s, I taught adult ed classes through the college, Napa Valley College. Um, we've um, taken photos over a period of time. Uh, this photo show, shown is from um, uh, 2009. And the photos, uh, most of the photos we have, I took recently just to, this is showing dust at that time in their typical operation. 
And I just wanted uh, the, the more recent photos will show that the dust um, problem it continues. This is un uncontrolled dust being released into the air, and this is directly across this, the roadway from Napa Valley College. Uh, this is a, uh, a photo that was taken um, March 31st, and this is on the uh, south loop of the, uh, the trail in Kennedy Park. This is showing a view of windblown dust coming off of the area where Sire um, unloads its sand off the barges along the river. And when we were, we were following these people on the trail and that dust came, over right, came right over us. And go on to the next. Um, this this is taken from the south parking lot in in uh, Kennedy Park, um, just on the other side of the golf course. And this um, is demonstrating there are two primary areas that they um, work in. One down by the entrance to the quarry, and the other is called the A B plant up on the hill. You can see that. Um, well, this is showing the dust spreading out over that area. This is further down. This is getting closer to the state hospital. It's moving down that way, and this is out. The dust being created kind of is behind the first row of hills. You can see a big poof of dust, dust coming up there, either from a blast or from their, their operation. Uh, this is a truck leaving the entrance to the quarry. This is right right down the street from, from the college, uh, showing the dust going up in the air from the tires. And what happens with this dust that's carried out onto the road is it's, it's stirred up continually all day long. Um, the problem with this dust is that what you see isn't the part that is really dangerous. It has uh, respirable crystalline silica in the dust. It's microscopic at the uh, size level of of bacteria, so micron level dust, and uh, that stays suspended, continually regenerated into the air, and um, uh, it can stay in it can stay in the air for weeks, and it can travel miles. And uh, if we can go to the next, please. This is showing a student riding down the street uh, at the same time that truck was going out, and. Um, <laughs> You know, breathing that dust. Okay, go to the next. This is uh, from Foster Road showing the, the distribution of the dust coming off the quarry. You can see the strata of dust. Uh, this is covering probably uh, several square miles. Uh, it spreads out all over the hills. It comes out over the college, over the, over the park. And I don't have the picture, but it also extends out over Skyline Park and the residential neighborhood uh, north of Imola. The state hospital as well. What time of year? Were these this is this is last week. Um, <coughs> let's see which number is this one? Which one? Number eight. I can give you the date. It's uh, September eighth. Uh, this shows more clearly the processing areas that are primarily 
creating the dust. The one in the foreground is right behind their asphalt plants. It's in the sand pit area. And then up on the hill, that's called the AB processing area, aggregate-based processing area. Okay. Um, this, this is one, um, see the golf course, it's right behind the golf course. I think that again is showing that area up behind the first row of hills that's going down toward what they call the gray pit or the, there's a blue pit and a gray pit. It's kind of in that area. And that is, that, that dust fills the whole atmosphere. Uh, and again, it's not just the visible dust you see. It's, it's continually releasing microscopic dust, and that stays airborne a great deal longer than the, than the visible dust. Uh, this shows the trucks coming toward the exit to the, the sire. It's coming to the entrance and exit of sire coming out on the um, 29-121. Um, these trucks came out and, and went south. This is on the road that is supposed to be, you know, that they are sweeping with a uh, street sweeper to control the dust. And, um, you know, the photos speak for themselves. This is happening right now. This, this, is. this was on uh, September 9th. And this is, the, this is the truck going out onto the roadway heading south. Okay, we, on the next one. And then this is just again showing a shot, um, just showing the general area during a typical processing day. Some of, the, some of what you see is going to be atmospheric, but you can really tell the difference between the atmospheric quality and the dust quality when you're, when you're looking up on the hill. I just wanted to say one thing real quickly. Um, although the... Um, Although the exposure to respirable silica, uh, crystalline silica is preventable, the adverse health effects of exposure are accumulative, irreversible, and incurable. The exposure starts the mutagenic disease clock ticking. The insidious side of RCS exposure is that it often remains subclinical for anywhere between 10 and 30 years, while life expectancy and quality of life are progressively di diminished. The adverse health effects do not cease even after exposure stops. So this, this is what is being, the students and the staff on this college property are being exposed to on a regular basis, year after year. And... Um, you, you're not going to see people dropping dead from it. But this, when, when this dust is taken into your lungs, it isn't expel, you can't expel it. And it, um, it's the, the condition of it is irreversible and it's incurable. So the, the thing you want to do is prevent it. You don't want that to be happening. No. And you won't hear this because, you know, everybody's saying nothing's happening. And uh, it's, it's just, that's why I've been documenting this in real time, uh, in current time, because this, according to, the, to Sire, to the newspaper, 
wherever you're getting information, they're saying, including the county, that that doesn't exist. Thank you very much, and I'd like to introduce you to Kathy Felt. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Kathy Felch. I am a resident of Napa. I've lived here for 15 years. I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in history. I have a lifetime teaching credential, and I'm a practicing attorney in private practice. Um, So that's my background. I live on Penny Lane. I am one of the closest residents to the project. And knowing what I know now about silica makes me not want to open my windows. Um, But I I live there. What am I going to do? Move, I suppose, would be one suggestion by some. Our request uh, to be on your agenda tonight was granted as an informational item only. I'm told that leadership and legal counsel do not consider our request to be one that relates to the mission of the Napa Valley College. I hope what we present tonight will change that opinion. The Napa Valley College campus lies within the area in which dust-laden air flows from Napa Sire Quarry over the campus. When on campus, students, staff, and visitors breathe the air coming off the quarry, which according to the environmental impact report that has been prepared by the county, contains 4% of the dust coming off the quarry is respirable crystalline silica. And as Steve Booth said, you don't see the respirable crystalline silica What you see is the dust. And from the EIR, we know that 4% of that is respirable crystalline silica. Uh, The current operation pollutes our air, as we've shown you with the photos. The proposed expansion of the quarry would increase that uh, dust, and it will increase the amount of respirable crystalline silica that our population is exposed to. You have a community here at the college. The exposure to your community that you have responsibility for will increase. Uh, Respirable crystalline silica is on the Proposition 65 list of carcinogens. It has been on that list since 1988. I have copies of... uh, the most recent list of Prop 65 carcinogenic substances. Uh, It's dated August 25, 2015, and I've, for your convenience and happily for the trees of our planet, I've only printed the face page of the document and the page that includes the reference to the respirable crystalline silica. And I don't know how to get these to the board members. Do you do that, Carolee? Thank you. Respirable crystalline silica is recognized by the CDC, by labor unions, by Cal OSHA, by Fed OSHA, and even by quarry and mining industry groups as a carcinogen. Um, I also have for you 
uh, something that's a little deeper reading, but I encourage you to do it. I know you can all do this. Um, I slogged through it. I know you can do it. It is a journal, is a copy of an article uh, published in September of 2013, just two years ago, a peer-reviewed article in the American Journal of Epidemiology uh, talking about exposure response analysis and risk assessment for lung cancer in relationship to silica exposure. This is an important study because it was done over a 44-year period with 34,018 workers. Um, so this is this is kind of the Bible on what happens to you over uh, the course of many decades if you're exposed to silica. So, Carolee, maybe at the end. Okay, I went to, I, I don't want to give you dated information. I'd like to give you kind of as up-to-date as we can. Um, today I went to the U.S. Department of Labor website, the OSHA website, um, and I want to read to you wh- how it describes respirable crystalline silica. Quote, inhalation of respirable crystalline silica particles has long been known to cause silicosis, a disabling, non-reversible, and sometimes fatal lung disease. Respirable crystalline silica also causes lung cancer. Let me stop there. It's important that the U.S. Department of Labor is saying this because it isn't saying it's associated with cancer or it could lead to cancer or any of those lesser classifications. They say boldly it causes cancer. That's not a scare tactic for us. It's bringing to you information that we feel you should have as a leadership body of the community here at the college so that you know what to do about it. The International Agency for Research on Cancer has designated crystalline silica as carcinogenic to humans, and the U.S. National Toxicology Program has concluded that respirable crystalline silica is known to be a human carcinogen. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, has also recommended that respirable crystalline silica be considered a potential occupational carcinogen. In addition, exposure to respirable crystalline silica has been associated with other respiratory diseases such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, including bronchitis and emphysema, as well as kidney and immune system diseases. That's the end for U.S. Department of Labor. The American Lung Association's data shows that Napa County's lung cancer rate is 20.2% higher than the statewide rate for California. It's something that I think we need to look at as a community. But your community is really close to this source of the exposure. We ask that you oppose the expansion. We've been deep in this for years. We can tell you I am confident in saying what I'm going to represent to you now. And we've talked to the county about this. We think we may be getting some headway. 
There is no proof. There is no substantiation in the seven-year record of this EIR that the expansion is necessary for Napa County. They offer you opinion that as a business model it's necessary for them to expand, but there is no proof that the quarry needs to expand. We have asked for that proof. It's readily available. It's in the form of what we call way tags. Every truck that leaves the quarry has a way tag that tells us how much the equipment weighs, how much the load is, and where it's headed. Um, their sire is considering making that, uh, that information available seven years after we've started this process. So we ask that you oppose the expansion. We ask that we get control over the current existing pollution. Um, and we ask that the Board of Trustees demonstrate its values adopted by this board on November 12, 2008, in which students are first and foremost in everything you do and demonstrate that you, as the leadership of Napa Valley College, value, model, and encourage health and wellness of the college community. According to the Institutional Learning Outcomes, adopted by the Board of Trustees on September 12, 2013, just two years ago, and three days before the peer-reviewed article got published, the one that you have now, the Board of Trustees announced that it expects students graduating from Napa Valley College to demonstrate global awareness and civic responsibility, as well as personal responsibility. And I say to you as the Board, this is a teachable moment, and this is a leadership moment for you. We ask that you lead in protecting the college community from the existing air pollution. We've shown you evidence of this. If you folks get out here at 7 in the morning and down there, you will see the same thing we've shown you pictures of. So we ask that this issue be agendized for action at your next meeting. Uh, and I also request that the documents that we've given you and the photographs be made part of the administrative record of this meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is... Oh. I'm, I'm sorry, I was so rude. I was wrapped up in what I said. Our next speaker from uh, Stop Sire Expansion actually from our parent organization, NAPA 2050, is Daniel Muffson. Thank you. Yeah. Good evening. My name is Dr. Dan Muffson, and I'm a pharmaceutical chemist. I'm also president of NAPA Vision 2050, a coalition of 15 groups from Calistoga and Angwin to here in NAPA concerned about land use policies in Napa. And we've joined together and we meet regularly and attend supervisor meetings and planning commission meetings to give our opinions about various land use issues. This one is really quite amazing. I mean, normally we're dealing with the water issues and traffic. But in this case, we're dealing with respirable particles. And 
I'm here tonight just uh, along with the group to alert you to this problem. I think it's really very important. You might wonder, well, where's the county on this? It's, it's kind of a, a strange process that takes place in order to get certain permits that have major environmental impacts. It's necessary to file environmental assessment reports. This report's taken seven years. We recently commissioned a, uh, an air quality analysis consulting firm to take a look at the documents. They found major flaws with them. Uh, as is often the case, a, a consultant is hired by a company and gives a report that's favorable to the company. And then it's up to the county staff to ferret this out. What we've been doing as a coalition is really adding a citizen's voice to this. I mean, it's 10 o'clock at night. I don't really want to be here, but we're here because we feel a, a certain sense of obligation. So I'm going to make this short. I have this report from our consultant. I'll give this out. And I would encourage you to speak to your respiratory therapy department to talk about respirable silica. Basically, the particles are about two and a half microns. They are suspended in air. They go down in the lungs. As a pharmaceutical chemist, I've designed many products, aerosol products, for delivery to the deep lung. Our target is two and a half micron particles because those particles go down and they don't come back up. Cigarette smoke is a smaller particle. It's almost like a gas that goes down, and you can see the gas comes out when people are talking. And big particles usually get lodged at the back of the throat. So there's a magic window for optimization of delivery to the deep lung. And as it's been pointed out to you, what we're dealing with here is dust, but dust of a carcinogenic nature. So I think it's imperative for you to take a look at this. We welcome you to contact the county and ask them what they're doing about it. There'll be further public hearings. And I think it's, uh, again, ask your respiratory therapy people about what we're saying. Thank you. Thank you. Is that uh, all of your group? Yes, that's it for our group. There are a couple of other people who support us who would also like to speak. I have one other card here, uh, James James Hinton, uh, 3574 Hunter Circle, Napa, California. I am a lifelong Napa resident. Uh, last year I won the Open Jungle Primary for United States House of Representatives, District 5. Um, I've been involved in a lot of meetings since then, attended a lot of uh, planning commission meetings, board of supervisor meetings as well. I also attended many debates last year, including the debate here over the college bond, as well as the Board of Trustees races, which uh, Ms. Martinson and Mr. Iverson were able to win. And you had trouble selling the bond last year. I'm sure in the future you're going to be asking for a quarter billion or more coming soon. Who is going to want to invest in an area where they have people across the street expanding a mining operation without any regulation for 35 years? We're going to be invested. If you want the people of Napa to come and give you the money to invest in this college, which I believe we should because education is extremely important. I want to invest in our college 
not in a bigger jail. Let's build our community college instead of building a bigger jail across the street. That is cronyism that keeps leading us to larger jails. But we must stop the sire expansion if you want to be able to sell yourselves as having a place that is uh, with enough fresh air so that people can get that quality education. Because education isn't going to be about risk and reward in Napa County where, you know, it's got a good education, but you might get cancer. If they're showing you results of studies with a 20% higher cancer rate in Napa County, is that because 20% of the population usually attends community college or anything like that? Who knows? But these is... Uh, there's so much information out there that silicon dioxide is extremely harmful. We know this. The sire operation is uphill from us. If you've had the opportunity to attend earlier meetings, um, many speakers have brought about the fact that uh, sire does not have a reputation as being a good actor. They have been in the middle of many lawsuits and... Uh, they have not been here forever. There was a basalt before that. And these land use permits, they will go to the next owner. But it is important that you know that it is for 35 years and there is virtually no regulations that Sire is not just regulating themselves. But uh, we need all the support we can and we would really appreciate it if you took a hard line stance against this expansion and possibly the jail too. And let's put our money into having a... Uh, a better uh, college next year. Thank you. Thank you. One more speaker. Okay. Good evening. Last, but never the least, never underestimate the power of a small woman. So, um, my name is. Uh, Glenda Velasco, and I am speaking on the behalf of uh, Napa County Green Party. Um, thank you. It's not easy being vertically challenged. Um, anyway, so let me start over. My name is Glenda Velasco, and I am representing Napa County Green Party. I am the co-coordinator with Alex Schantz. The Green Party represents uh, four pillars of values, and one is ecological wisdom. The other is also social justice. We have here in your board, like, probably three or more student trustees that were Greens, and one of your colleagues is also is Green as well. We believe in ecological wisdom, and we also believe in, in our future. The reason why we believe in ecological is, is the future. And I do believe your mission in this campus is the future of not only your students, but when they go forth, because we are living in a world, a global society. When you bring these students and they are, li they are living and breathing this kind of air, what are they taking with them? When you allow this with their environments, what are they going to take with them when they go out? You are basically the gateway of the county. You will be seeing people go past each day. 
what was representative of Napa County is this educational institution. But the thing is, not only you are a campus, but you are a neighbor. There are hospitals, the state hospital across the ways. There are a preschool, an elementary school, a wilderness park, a residential area that is represented highly by the Latino population. But you don't see them here. In fact, you don't see most of the parents that are in the neighborhoods. You don't see all these people, and you don't even see the students. And this is why the Green Party is here, so that we will start talking about democracy and grassroots democracy. We, as a people, would like you to see this, that basically, one, the water is being affected. There is groundwater that is so limited, and basically, if it continues the way that their expansion, you might as well just say hi to a sand dustbin bowl, all right? Two, there's also the situation with the, the pollutants of the, uh, of the silica. You've already seen the evidence from the pictures. Three, if you want to really be a good neighbor, you start looking at the, at the have some foresight on the wellness and the being of your students and your residents, and therefore the rest of the county. We have neighbors in American Canyon. I'm originally from Solano County, and I fought against the LNG gas plant, but I'm going to, have to say it's a very personal issue. I have bronchitis and asthma, and I live on the south side of Napa. I live on 2053 Wilkins Avenue and miss those Latino residents. But I know I've studied kinesiology, physiology, and all the anatomies, and I will tell you that basically there is no organ that will take out silica. So please, stop this madness. Consider what your stake is for the sake of the school, the sake of their students and their residents, and please stop the expansion. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else speak on that? Thank you very much. And it's back on to action items 13.1, Board of Trustees self-evaluation and 2015-16 and 2017. Excuse me, Dan. So we're not going to talk about next steps, or I am confused. I thought we were going to talk about whether or not it would be on the agenda in the future. As an action, first of all, actually, I want to back up because I'm concerned about process and following policies because they actually asked that the resolution be put on the agenda. Um, and they respected the process and it didn't happen, so I'm kind of concerned about that. Um, they didn't ask for a discussion of whether or not the resolution should be on the agenda to be on the agenda. They asked for the resolution to be on the agenda. So I'm concerned if people follow policy that that we're, we're, that was a way to kind of skirt the, the policy. Uh, it, is, it is on the agenda for information, and as you heard at the beginning, legal counsel has advised this is not uh, uh, an area of our mission. That's legal counsel. And okay. the other thing, the other issue is that this has not even been heard by the County Planning Commission so uh, our, our taking any action on it, let alone the Board of Supervisors, but our taking any action on it calls into question uh, influence in an area that is 
not within our mission. Yes, we are within the dust level, but it's not within our mission. Yeah, I think that should have been up to the board to decide. We're, we talk about acting as a whole board, but we never had the opportunity as a board the to discuss whether or not this is within our purview and whether or not we want to support this resolution or not. That opportunity wasn't even provided to us, and that's my concern that that there was kind of a gatekeeper action here. In um, because the attorney made that decision, you think she was gatekeeper? Is that what you're saying? Well, I've never seen a legal opinion from the attorney saying that we couldn't support a resolution related to sire. Yeah, that was read uh, before the um, before the presentation. You want Dan to read it again? So there was a legal counsel saying that we could not take a position on the SIRE project. Legal counsel ruled that this is not within our mission as far as uh, our taking any action on it that is not appropriate for any, because it isn't part of our mission, to... Uh, preempt the uh, governing boards that, that have make decision regarding this. Now, if the Planning Commission and the Board of Supervisors have um, made review, uh, that, would be, that would be different. Then we can address it from the standpoint of, of uh, uh, the, the only connection is the, you know, is, is the dust. Okay. I, I don't, again, think that I've never seen a legal opinion saying that we can't take a position on a project that Mr. Chairman, is really, I'm not interested that could impact in going us. Any further with this. Can we have a, a copy of the, the uh, legal opinion? Is there a legal well, we opinion? We don't have the opportunity to get a, a legal opinion at this moment. She's saying there already is one, and that that's yeah, why no, it wasn't on the agenda. I didn't say it was an opinion. He read that when he, when he introduced it, that the attorney had advised this is not within our mission. We do. I mean, he, he, it, it was in the form of emails back and forth. So, I mean, the, this is the... Oh, yeah, I do have the... You read it. I guess I'm confused because... Okay, this is um, according to Patrick Wilson. Uh, the attorney said... Uh, Per Education Code 72121.5, the matter must be directly related to community college business. While the SIRE expansion is an important and controversial issue, it does not seem directly related to district business. Okay, that's an opinion of a lawyer. This is not... Mr. Chairman, unless somebody else is going to uh, support what Amy's wanting to do, I'd suggest that we move on to the action item. The, the can of worms, if this is considered directly related, could be that the board may be asked to weigh in on other land issues at the county and city level. These land issues are very complex and could take hours. It does not seem a good use of district resources. Again, that's an opinion, and that could have been part of the discussion, but in the end, it, it would be our decision as a board, and that opportunity wasn't even provided to us as a board. Is there anyone else on the board that feels that this should be placed? 
I uh, don't. I understand the the situation, and I I understand the position that the college would be in from an education standpoint. I don't feel comfortable putting it on as a action item, but I would be willing to support it as a discussion item. That's what what we're doing right now. Well, yeah, that's because I I feel that it would be uh, relevant to hear the public's opinion on it. It's not our, you know, before the county planning commission or the board of supervisors have heard it. It's uh, it's in direct. They're the uh, bodies. Uh, if you want to wait, well, we're not taking well, they, a position on it. We would just be discussing it. No, I'm not. I don't support public that either. comment on, on non-agenda items. Public comment. It's very appropriate. City councils, governmental bodies, all the time take positions to influence the yeah, decisions no. of other bodies. It's completely appropriate, and you don't wait until after they made the decision. The point is to influence that decision by taking a position, and, and it's appropriate. And I would argue it isn't within our jurisdiction I because know you've argued, uh, but part of our role is, uh, is to advocate and protect so the district. Is, is there a it's consensus a, to uh, move on to go along with the, Amy's proposal to place this no. as an action item? No. Seeing none, then we're going to move on to thirteen point. Board of Trustees self-evaluation and 2015-16 and 2017-18 board goals. This item is placed on the agenda to allow continued discussion of the board's biennial self-evaluation and consideration of proposed board goals for 2015-16 to 2017-18. This item was carried forward from the August 13th regular meeting. Mr. Chairman, can we carry this over to October since the lateness of the hour? Sure. Any objection to that? 13.1. You know, one thing I might suggest, it, it, carrying it over I think could be fine, but maybe you could have one of your committees or a couple of you address this prior to, because I think starting it, it's a real time, it's one of those big pieces, but I mean, I think you're going to be, It'll be tough just to bring it back next time. I think you'll end up in the same spot. Maybe we could help. Um, what are you suggesting? Are you saying a subcommittee to? Well, is there is there a discussion on this before we move on it? Well, that's probably a good question. I I'll move approval as it is. Is there a second? No second. The motion has died for lack of. A then I suggest we carry it over to October board meeting. Second. Okay. Um, all in favor of tabling till next month? Aye. Aye. Well, we can table it, and then I can I can appoint an ad hoc committee to come back with a with a recommendation to the board. Any volunteers to be on that committee? I'll be on it. Amy, Marianne, one more person. Kyle, I see that hand going up. Okay. Three of you can get together and come back with a recommendation. Wonderful. 13.2, changes to the curriculum. Since this was an action item, does it not require a 
official position? Is that what was there? Was there a motion to move to an yeah, ad hoc we committee? We officially tabled it till next month. Oh, well, Wait. I think you needed to take that vote. You had right. a motion and we a didn't second. Vote. Oh, I'm we didn't sorry, vote. You're right. I thought we voted. Okay. All in favor of uh, tabling it till next month? Subscribe by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. Thanks, Gabriel. I know. I got ahead of myself. You're right. Changes to the curriculum. It is recommended by the Curriculum Committee and Vice President of Instruction, Terrence Juney, that the Board of Trustees approve changes to the curriculum as presented. Move to approve. Second. Uh, do you want to speak on this? <laughs> if you have questions, I'll gladly answer them. I think um, it's clear based on the agenda item that you can see what's happening here. Okay. All in favor, say aye. Aye. 13.3, new revised board policy, second reading. This is second reading and recommended adoption. Chapter 4, academic affairs. Is there a motion? No approval. I'll second. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay. Board policy manual, administrative regulations for Chapter 2, Board of Trustees. It is recommended that the Board of Trustees approve new and revised administrative regulations related to Chapter 2 of the Napa Valley College Board Policy Manual listed below. Chapter 2, Board of Trustees, AR 2320, Special and Emergency Meetings. Move approval. Second. All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Viticulture and Winery Foundation. I don't have a report. Okay. Redevelopment oversight. You haven't met yet. October. Legislative committee. We met. We met. We met. Yes. And we came up with a. Well, we have an organizational plan, and uh, so now we've set up a calendar for future meetings. The next meeting will actually get down to some meetings. But this time took up the whole time with organization. So we are organized now. Do we have our uh, statement to read? Do we have our statement, Carolee? We created that little statement? Yeah. No? Okay. If I, if I may comment on that, I noticed the, the meeting schedule, and, and I know it's not election year, but it seems to me that next year you would have it after Election Day rather than October 28th and schedule this year. Or have it after the election, so that way you know who you're dealing with. Yeah, except there's still the lame duck period. Oh, you get, yes, I see. Good thinking, Dan. Session going on during that time. Yeah. Okay. Ad hoc committee reports, communications. Mr. Chairman, I'd suggest that you kill those two we, committees. I'm way ahead of you on that. Okay. We talked about this at the, at the, uh, at the, the, uh, the agenda meeting. Yeah, that, that uh, committee is done. We're going to keep accreditation because we figured we better keep that. Until, Looks good until on the agenda. Yeah, yeah, that too. 
and communications. Yeah, we don't that need that one. anymore. No. That's done. Okay. Trustee reports. Ms. Martinson. Okay, um, a couple things. First of all, just thinking about the budget and ways to save money. Um, one of the things I've been surprised at since I've been on the board is um, and looking in the warrants, the cost of our energy bill, which, for example, this month was $64,000. Oftentimes it's $35,000 um, a month. And because um, I, I see all those, you know, wonderful solar panels, I thought we would have like almost no energy bill or very low energy bill. So um, anyway, I, I kind of would at some point would maybe like a kind of a report on what was our energy like before, what is it like now, um, but also maybe some research into adding more so solar panels. Um, I was just reading an article in the paper that NBUSD um, is going to be adding more solar panels to all of their middle schools. Um, it talked about how American Canyon High School has... Let's see, it says they have um, 4,000 solar panels, and their energy bill is less than $100 a year. Um, and because of the cost savings, that's why they're expanding it to all the middle schools. Um, they talked about how right now it's no cost to the district to add those solar panels. Um, they're using a company um, called SunPower Core, and they were saying that they install them for free because they benefit from tax uh, breaks provided by the government. Um, and also from selling electricity to their customers, but at a lower rate than PG&E. Um, it talked about how the district is acting on this now because the advantages of the going school solar will dim. I'm reading now. Will dim soon because the PG&E has been lobbying the California Public Utilities Commission to alter the rate tariffs and other rules governing the selling back of solar-generated electricity to the grid. So basically, there's a window right now to still do this before the law changes. So I just thought maybe that's something um, for Matt Christensen to look into. Um, you know, maybe you could talk to people at NVUSD, uh, like Don Evans, who are doing this. Um, they're working with a local expert on uh, solar, um, Gopal Shankar. He's, a, he's consulting for them. So anyway, I thought that could be interesting. That's interesting because just while you were talking, I was thinking about it. The solar panels have been there for a while. So I don't know. I wonder how efficient they are because they're, they're so old. Yeah. They're about they, ten years old, and and they probably haven't been cleaned in a whole long time. They're very yeah. I would agree they're very inefficient. We put we're 100 percent solar power out at the winery and much smaller footprint. And we're generating just as much electricity. Right. So if it's a matter of cleaning or some maintenance, or if it might be better to just replace them. I, mean, I was I multiplied sixty four thousand a month times twelve. That's about eight hundred thousand a year. So, if we could get our energy bill down to nothing, that would save the district a lot of money. Um, the other thing, um, I brought a group of students to transfer day yesterday. I brought thirty five students, and um, I don't think they listened to me when I explained what it was. <laughs> so they were like, oh, we thought we were going to get a tour. We want to see the police academy. So I'll bring them back in the spring for a tour. I do that as well every year. But this year we tried transfer day and um, had to kind of drag them out of the cafe and keep on dragging them out of the picnic tables and forcing them back into the center. And um, they needed a lot of guidance in terms of how to approach tables and what kind of questions to ask. But with some prodding, they, they did it. And it was exciting to see connections made and light bulbs go on. And 
kids actually really get excited about um, certain colleges and what they offer and future opportunities. So um, in the end of success, um, I'll next time structure it better, so maybe give them a worksheet to fill out to force them and give them questions or something. But overall, it was success, and they definitely, I saw some kids get really excited. So that was great. Um, and I had some comments about the campus master plan, but I'll wait because it's, it's, it's late. So that's it. Thank you. Raphael? I don't have a report. Okay. Joanne? Michael? I want to thank uh, Dr. Terry and Michelle and Paul. I was able to sit in on a, um, a meeting this morning regarding the possibility or, or how one would add a continuing education course processes and, and how it could fold into an enhanced and then a credit course. So it was uh, very interesting, and I found um, them very helpful, and and looks like it might be a success in, down the road. But thank you. Just a couple quick things. So Sunday, no, Monday was Labor Day. Monday for Labor Day, I went to a breakfast that I go to every year. It's the Napa Solano uh, Central Labor Council. And uh, the statue of Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez was moved there. And Dolores Huerta was actually there to speak. And uh, it was incredibly inspirational. She was wonderful as usual and just amazing, you know, that she she's just so on it. She had every topic and you know, every conversation just at the tip of her tongue and could just full of information. So it was uh it was really, really incredible. And I also spent some time talking to Tom Torlickson um on Monday as well. And uh, and talk to him a little bit about Prop 30 and what he saw happening with uh, any extension of Prop 30 and does it have to go to uh, ballot? Is there anything the governor, you know, the governor can do? And he said that it would definitely have to come back as an initiative. So that's something to uh, look forward to in a couple of years. And there was one other thing. I can't remember. It's okay because even if you did remember, we probably wouldn't I'm after done. you said it. <laughs> thank you, Kyle. I just wanted to thank President Kraft and our representatives of the campus community, along with our administration, of how our recent crime that we've been dealing with has been dealt with as a campus whole. I think everyone's done a really good job, and I think we've all probably looked at the staff emails coming in and I think we've gotten some really good feedback and thank you guys. Gabriel. I had had a couple of things that um, I wanted to talk about. Uh, mostly um, I'd like to thank everybody involved in Transfer Day. That was a wonderful event. Um, I know it's very popular with our students and it does give them a renewed sense of um, inspiration and aspirations to um, continue their educational path. Um, so thank you again to the people involved there. Um, I am personally extremely disappointed that the board had no 
discussion on the recent sexual assault on campus. Um, and while I understand that it's uh, under a continuous uh, police investigation, um, I think that at this level it should at least be briefly discussed because as I've had multiple students approach me and tell me that they feel unsafe on campus, especially women. Um, and while I can, I, while I'll never know what that feels like to have to walk around um, in fear uh, because I'm male, um, I am sympathetic to that feeling. Um, but I would also like to commend everybody and their quick response to the um, the assault. And um, thank you to Dr. Kraut for letting all of the students know, and as well to Oscar for uh, writing out that letter um, that was sent out to students. Um, it and the availability of counseling services for those students who feel as though that um, I know that when sexual assault happens, a lot of people that may have been victimized in the past um, tend to have flashbacks and things of that nature. So. Um, the fact that the student health center is available to um, address the needs of those students is um, makes me feel warm inside. Um, so yeah, again, thank you, everyone, and good night. Can Have I just nice ask one. you? Did, are you on the email? Uh, does he get the same email we do? I, one of the reasons I, because I had a similar feeling about you know maybe discussing it based on that feeling of safety, but. Uh, the emails that that uh, went around and everything that you know the faculty that were so supportive and had suggestions in terms of lighting and and uh, cameras and that sort of thing sort of felt to me like that you know that the uh, you know we'd sort of come together with ideas so I want to prolong it. Do you get those emails? Um, I did receive them. Uh, I guess the distinction there is that. There's a difference between us talking about what we're going to do and actually following through with it. Um, that's all I can say on that. Um, with what? Who did, who did you do? I'm sorry. I took my thing off. I, I am getting a variety of emails. I don't know if these emails are specifically targeted towards the Board of Trustees email. I, have, I actually do not have access to that email, nor do I have access to an email that is gsanchez at napavalley.edu, but I am receiving emails that have been forwarded through to associated students and emails that have been forwarded through a, I believe, a campus police program that alerts students in case. Meet with Caroline. Yeah, She'll not, set your uh, phone up. Sure. Yeah. yeah, because these were not forwarded. They just, you know, well, I guess it's a different. We've got a couple things real quick before everybody leaves. Uh, Janine had something to say. That might be quick. To, to your comment, um, I actually did respond personally to those faculty members with the idea about the lighting and, and the cameras and have referred um, their comments to the facilities committee for their consideration and, and review and recommendation. Sure, thank you. I'd love to see action on it. A couple things. Uh, last month I was invited by the North Bay Apprentice Coordinators to uh, attend their meeting. What they want to do, they have a, a career fair every year. Last couple of years they've had it at Solano College, but the DAS, which is the Department of Apprenticeship Standards, wants them to expand their operations everywhere, and they were asking me if I could talk to Ron and possibly have them do their career fair at the college. I've spoken with Ron, and Ron and Terry and, and, uh, and I are going to go to their meeting next week and tour the Electrician's Apprenticeship Center if we have time 
we'll go over to the Carpenters Center in Fairfield and uh, get a good idea of actually what they are looking for, what they need from us, and how we can coordinate that. So that's the best thing I've got. And then uh, also Ron and Gabriel and I met with the uh, Napa County Alliance on Aging. Uh, was it last week or the week before, I guess, last Friday? And uh, that w it was very interesting. What they're looking for is they they don't need space here at the college, but they want to run classes for uh, older people. A lot of it is adaptive PE or uh, how, how to gear your finances when you're getting older. But they need to, the college because they have to apply for a grant to fund it. And so they, it was the first meeting, and we'll meet again. With them. It sounded like a good idea. We'll see we'll it like it. It's what? And that's it. Everything Napa else is Alliance on Aging. Was Yvonne Beginsky here? We can't no. remember. I can speak on that. Uh, I sit at their meetings. Yvonne Beginsky uh, does not currently attend the meetings, but there is uh, all that I know is that there's personal connections within different um, different members on the board that have a personal relationship with her. I also know Yvonne, but that's beside the point. Betty Rhodes is also yeah. connected a bit. Yeah. 